invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Kings chapter number 19 this morning. While you were turning there, uh, Grove Park's at work. You know, we have already received a, a good number of uh, donations to the food bank and we're thankful for that. This week, uh, our ramp ministry built several ramps and we're thankful for the work that they, they did and uh, also, uh, we're getting ready for Bible school. Howard is uh, getting the around-the-world passport together and the boxes together. And so, if you uh, like to get your child signed up for that, please email the office and let us hear from you. Or call the office. But uh, we're at work. In fact, I told someone the other day, they said, well, how is the pandemic treating you? And I said, I feel like we're doing more than ever before. And so we're thankful for your prayers and we're thankful for your participation in the work of the kingdom uh, during these days. 1 Kings 19 is where we are this morning. Would you pray with me? Gracious God. Your word never fails. It always speaks. The problem is very often us that we fail to hear. So Lord, as it speaks today, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, eyes to seek what it is that you are saying to us. Bless me the words that are needed for those gathered here as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever feel like you have had about all you can take? I know that I have reached that point several times during these last four and a half months of physical distancing. At most points, when I have reached that breaking point, it has not been something spectacular that has pushed me over the edge. It generally is something very small and insignificant that finally is that which breaks my back. Right after we were first married, Liza and I were out to eat one night in the Rocky Mount at the Chili's. And the server came and took my order. And he said, uh, what would you like on your salad? And I said, do you have Catalina? And he said, yes. I said, I'll take Catalina. A few minutes later, he comes back. And it had been a rough stretch. And he comes back and he says, I'm sorry we don't have Catalina. And he, looked, he said it and I just broke out sobbing. Well, the poor boy didn't know what to do. Eliza looked at him and said, he'll take, uh, he'll take ranch. And I just sat there and cried. I wasn't crying because I didn't have Catalina. It was just the last thing. You know, when we enter our text this morning, I feel like Elijah 
is at that point. Take a moment, reconsider what the multiple stresses he has gone through have been. There was the constant anxiety of the previous three plus years. The powerlessness of watching the constant increase of Ahab's and Israel's apostasy. The tension of looking over his back continuously for Ahab's forces during the drought to come and kill him. The faithful word as he watched the dwindling flow of the brook Kareth. The living behind enemy lines while he stayed in the widow of Zarephath's house. Stress upon stress. And though we see it as a great triumph, we have to believe that he had some amount of stress as he confronted the prophets of Baal and Carmel. And so when we get to 1 Kings 19, Elijah hits the wall. Look at me in verses 1 through 3. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not take your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. Now there are two ways I believe to consider Elijah's predicament here. One is simply that he is worn down and that Jezebel's hollow threat is the straw that breaks the proverbial camel's back. And really, who can blame him? All that he has gone through, who can blame him for this being the pushing over point? Or, some scholars believe that it is better to translate he was afraid in verse 3 as he saw. In other words, he saw that Jezebel had more power over Ahab than Elijah first thought. Elijah saw that the tremendous outpouring of God's power at Carmel would not be sufficient to turn the tide against apostasy in Israel. And it left him severely disheartened and despairing. He has worked and worked and worked. And just when he thinks he has reached the top of the mountain, he sees that he's just reached an overhang. And there is still more mountain left to climb. Very often when you and I reach these points, we say no more. We throw our hands up. I'm done. Now the argument might be made that Elijah's journey to Beersheba and then out into the wilderness is him doing just that. It's him saying to God, I'm finished. But notice, he does something amid his depression and despair which points to a different direction. Verse 4, 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Elijah didn't take matters into his own hand. He didn't just go out and pout. He prayed. But I mean, how often is it that you and I, before we walk out of the situation, take a moment and pray about it? Sleep on it, as Elijah did. Very often you and I act and then we pray when we should pray and then act. Why is it so important to pray when we are at our weakest? Well, quite simply, we are more prone to temptation. We are more susceptible to acting outside of the will of God when we are at these pivotal breaking points. So the urgent necessity at these times is to pray. And when we pray, a couple of things happen. First, we discover our true states. Look at the remainder of verse 5. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked with hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again to him, came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. One of the tragic truths that I have discovered firsthand through all of my struggles with depression and intense despair is that we often have no idea how truly bad we are when we are at our worst. We keep thinking we are strong enough and operating normally, but much like Elijah, the journey is too great for us. We should understand that this process of self-realization in which we come to terms with the true sad state of how far down in the hole we are is God working in us to bring about healing. You know, very often to admit that we have a problem, to admit that we are down deep in the valley, we think we are at our weakest by admitting it. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are at our strongest. Because it is then that we can realize that we need help. It is then that we can realize that we can begin the process of climbing up out through the power of God. And without this point of self-realization, we never pursue healing. Secondly, we learn when we start praying in these difficult times about the character of God. Notice verse 9. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, 
what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And then skipping down to verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I find the interaction here between God and Elijah fascinating. There is no rebuke from God for Elijah and his state of burnout. There is no reprimand for his exaggeration that Elijah is the sole faithful person left. I, even I, alone, and they're trying to kill me, Elijah says, forgetting the fact that Obadiah in the previous chapter has informed Elijah that he has hidden 100 prophets. No. While we do not see reprimand and rebuke to Elijah here, we do see, as we have seen so often, compassion amid suffering. There is sustenance as he is fed amid a dry season. There is abundant patience and the extension of grace. Even in the most obstinate of souls, as Elijah repeats his mantra, just kill me, because it's me and me alone. Beloved, too often you and I view God in fear instead of love. We forget that perfect love drives out fear, all fear. And that it is the perfect love of God that should be the tenor of our relationship with Him. We fail to remember the promise of Isaiah 42.3. A bruised reed He will not break and a faintly burning wick He will not quench. And so we do not turn to Him. But because we fear Him, we stay away from His sustenance. Our failure to remember that we serve a God who more often than not will soothe our hurts, restore our broken places, replenish our exhausted reserves. A God who is patient and full of compassion and abounding in grace and love. Our failure to remember those things means we fail to present the complete picture of God to a bruised and hurting world. And so instead of running to Him to find those things that the world's soul cries out for, they run away from God into things they find out too late will not restore them. But how does God's restoration of us occur? Well, first, God enables Elijah to refocus himself by truly hearing God perfectly. 
Look at verse 11. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. You know, our problem is, is that when we're in our most despairing, we hear everything but God. We hear the earthquake, we hear the roar of the fire. We feel and hear the whoosh of the wind, but we do not hear God. We hear everything that the world says about us, but fail to hear what God says. We believe the lies about our self-worth instead of hearing the truth that we are created in the image of God. We allow minuscule little woodpeckers to be amplified such that they chip away whole hunks of our being instead of relegating them to the dustbin as we should. We hear all of the loud sounds, but we don't hear the silence of God. The silence of God. Yes! Scholars believe that it is better to translate the phrase whisper here as the silence. In other words, in the still silence, Elijah heard God. What is loudest in your life today? Is it the world? Is it your critics? Is it your adversaries? Or is it God? Is it God who in silence can speak multitudes? Is it God who, who can with such authority command the stars to come out and declare night different from day? Can we be quiet enough and still enough to hear from Him and hear what He has to say about our lives? Secondly, God restores Elijah by giving him a fresh vision and a fresh purpose. Notice verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphath of Abel-Beholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Elijah, it seems clear from the text, is ready to retire and hang up the prophet hat. He has had enough. No more. He's worked and worked and worked and now he says it's time to go off. 
and retire. God says, not going to happen. Not going to happen. In fact, Elijah, your life, your ministry is going to change. You were despairing, Elijah, that it wasn't turning around fast enough for you. That still you had Jezebel and Ahab running the show and that Carmel was just some great pyrotechnic show that didn't really do much. But there is a future, Elijah. There is a future, and because there's a future, there's going to need to be a prophet for the future. And so, Elijah, you're going to go and you're going to anoint your successor. Elijah, you have been seeking to bring down the king through your interactions with Ahab. Now you're going to go and anoint kings. Your whole vision, your whole purpose is going to change. Beloved, one of the many problems in the modern church is that we are despondent and despairing and doing half-hearted ministry because we are tired and worn out because we lack fresh vision and fresh purpose. We have not sought God for these things and so we have become stale and bitter. But God desires to always give us fresh vision and purpose to keep us engaged in kingdom work and not on the sideline regardless of how old we are. We cannot allow fear about the questions we have for the future to keep us from wholeheartedly devoting ourselves to the future God is calling us quite clearly to. There has never been a point in my life where, when faced with the calling of God, I haven't been afraid that I couldn't do it. There have been plenty of points in my life where I was afraid to leave something behind and not take something new because the new scared me. And so the old was only done half-heartedly. Neither is good. What is best? Seeking God for fresh vision and fresh purpose. And we say, but I'll be all afraid. And so we remember that God restores by reminding Elijah and us that we are never alone. Notice verse 18. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God, it appears, understands that he will not be able to shake Elijah loose by bringing to Elijah's mind the 100 prophets that Obadiah had hidden and protected. Maybe God knew Elijah would not have found it sufficient 
that he had anointed kings that would come to his aid and so would have remained off in the distance. Maybe God anticipated Elijah still feeling alone despite the fact that God had provided him an apprentice in Elisha. So God says to Elijah, Hey, how does 7,000 sound to you? You think you're all alone at 7,000 enough? And notice about these 7,000. These, these, these fellas are not 7,000 who were converted at Carmel. You know, at Carmel, they were of differing opinions. They were going back and forth between God and Baal. But, but notice here that this 7,000 have not bowed to Baal nor kissed him. These are true, blue, faithful people. You want to see a fan? You want to see a sports fan? A true fan of any given team is not there when they win the championship. A true fan of any team is not just celebrating when they have a winning season. A true fan is there when they stink and still sits through the whole game. When it's 27 to 3 and you're losing to Furman in the rain at Carolina football and you're still there, that's fate. These are the real McCoy. These are the folks that are going to be there through thick and through thin. No matter what happens, they're going to be there. And God says to Elijah, I've got 7,000 of them to stand with you. Beloved, you and I are finding ourselves in the place of some of the most uncertain and despairing times we have ever lived. We do not know what will happen tomorrow. About the time we think everything has been seemingly solved, something else happens. We wait for the next shoe to drop. And because of our fears and because of our rightful protections, we're growing more and more insulated and alone. And so it is now more important than ever to know that we are not alone. We are not alone. As a congregation, we are not alone. We have brothers and sisters across our congregation who are there for us at any given point in time. And we can rely on them. But more importantly, beloved, we have an advocate who sits at the right hand of God, who is always making intercession for us. And when we say no more, he says, yes, you can. 
And He provides strength and sustenance in the dark seasons of life. He keeps giving us the ability to go forward. He fills our tanks when they are depleted. And He packs us and He says, go on back out there. It's time to go. We have an advocate. The question is, can we shut our mouths long enough to hear? You know, even after the great display of God's power, Elijah still says what? I'm all by myself. They want to kill me. And so God cuts through it all and he says, nope, nope. New task, new vision, new purpose, new friends, go. Some of us are despairing today and we just need to be quiet for a minute and hear God. Not say no more, you can quit. Say no more will your fears and your pains and your despairs outweigh how great and how big and how magnanimous I am. Beloved, can you hear God today? And can you hear Him say, you are not alone. Remember the last words that our Lord said to us before He ascended. He gave the disciples fresh purpose and fresh vision to go into all the world and what is the last thing He said? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. You are never alone. Let us latch on to that and run go into a despairing world and tell them you are not alone. Let us pray. Father, break through all the barriers and help us to hear that we are not alone. despair, pick us up, brush us off and put us to work. Send people, Lord, into our lives, not to just talk, but to instead just be silent. The best thing Job's friends could have done was to just sit there and be quiet and minister to Job with the power of presence. Help us to do that for those who need it. Help us to encourage and not discourage. Help us to hear you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.